everything seems hopeless and we feel as if we are utterly in the grip of trauma and anxiety, how can we take our first step towards healing? What do we need in order to acknowledge that something needs to change in our lives? How can we find just enough courage to reach out and ask for help? This is the Anxiety Advantage podcast. Welcome to Season 2. Each episode of Season 2 goes live fortnightly on a Thursday around noon UK time, starting today, 12th January 2023. The theme for this Season 2 is courage. It seems to me that for someone who is anxious, doing something challenging takes a lot more courage than for someone who might not be phased by the same thing. Because we anxious types, we really have to push through the fear, really draw on a huge amount of our inner resources in order to do something that is scary to us. And that surely is courage, to feel the fear and do it anyway. So in this season two, we ask, is anxiety calling us to become our most courageous selves? I'm Yang Mei Ui. I'm a writer and podcaster. And perhaps I might also introduce myself as an anxious person. But I wonder, what would it be like to reframe that idea of myself and instead of thinking of myself as an anxious person, to think of myself as a courageous person? I hope you will join me on this exploration and perhaps also see what that feels like for you to think of yourself for a change as someone who is courageous. I'm joined today by Dr. Sarah Woodhouse, who is a trauma expert, research psychologist, author, coach and creator of The Freedom Process. She has been featured in The Times, Women's Weekly and The Sydney Morning Herald, as well as many international media publications. Dr. Sarah Woodhouse, thank you so much for coming on to the Anxiety Advantage podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Now, can you tell us about what you do as a trauma expert and coach? Yeah, well, for a very long time, I studied trauma, PTSD specifically as an academic. So that's how I got into it. Initially, I was a lobbyist, actually. And I worked with sort of one of my final projects in lobbying was with uh, the charity Reprieve. And that's all about, well, essentially the, the guys that I were working with were, were bringing people back from Guantanamo. So that was sort of where I first became interested in, in PTSD. And then personally, at the same time as that, I was, uh, I was working with a therapist and, and she said to me, look, a lot of what you're bringing to me, um, seems a lot like trauma. I think, I think something's happened and you're reacting to it. And I was really taken with that question because it seemed so odd to me that what these guys from Guantanamo were experiencing was trauma. And apparently what this, you know, girl in London, you know, with anxiety and panic attacks and all that kind of stuff and eating disorders, how that was trauma and that was trauma. Um, so we trained in psychology, studied it academically and then kind of tossed up whether, whether to stay in academia or not. But I don't know if, you know, any of the, your listeners have read my book, but if, if they have, or if they are about to, they will see that my writing is certainly not very academic. I was constantly sort of told off for using too many adjectives 
uh, dropping in the odd swear word. So I'm, I'm very big on using, you know, everyday language to describe quite complicated things. So I, I loved academia, but wasn't so much for me. And then uh, wrote, wrote the book, which was fantastic. And then moved into, st- I still research, uh, you know, I'm talking to people every day, but, but now it all funnels into creating programs essentially. So I'm much more focused on the solution. You know, I was obsessed with, okay, well, what, what is trauma? And now I'm pretty obsessed with, okay, well, how do we treat it? There's quite a lot there. And in terms of being drawn to the, be working in the field of trauma and lobbying, you, from what you've said, you didn't sound as if you knew that you, you experienced trauma or you were living uh, your own version of trauma when you threw yourself into your lobbying work. Do you, do you think that that's uh, something about your, your inner self telling you or calling you in some way to work in this field that has now become your passion in terms of helping people in a different way? Yes. I love that question. I really do. Cause I, I, I find it so fascinating. I remember about, I, I think I do mention this in the book, but probably about 10 years ago, I remember I, th- I was, I was just about to write up a big piece of research into trauma and, and I was working with a, a fantastic therapist and I said to her do you think I I've studied trauma because I've got PTSD and she kind of had this like crooked her head to one side with this like how is it how have you only just realized that <laughs> you know and we had this really lovely discussion about how essentially you know subconsciously we're all drawn to the things that can heal us and that we need so yes, very much so. Uh, without realizing it, I was, I was being drawn to the things that I needed, which I think we're all doing in, in one way or another. That is so true. And yet many of us perhaps hide or, or we're just not conscious of it. And I'm thinking of myself in terms of this, this podcast, The Anxiety Advantage. And I was in the corporate world. I was a writer and I presented a persona of confidence and fearlessness. I'm fascinated by people who are confident and courageous and fearless and they go off, you know, climbing mountains and, and doing scary things. And actually I realized underneath that all, all that armor, if you like, uh, is the scared little girl, this anxious little girl. And, um, why not name it? And I was in, in counseling myself. Um, and my therapist said, well, that's that's your life. That's what has been the guiding light, the guiding power of your life. And I thought, oh, is anxiety my superpower? Why don't I explore this further? And and it has a resonance for so many people because as I started talking about it, I realized that uh, many people have said, oh gosh, I've got anxiety too. And these are people who seem in themselves really confident. So uh, it's it's in a way we have to listen to that little voice, don't we, inside ourselves. To, to allow our calling to emerge. Oh, it's so beautifully put. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's not something really that's potentially talked about very much. I don't think, you know, it's a lovely way of viewing it and it's important and it's true. And it's a real reversal, I think, of what we are led to believe in the society we live in. But of, but of course it's true. You know, when we connect, when we can connect with our own. The word that comes to mind is problem, but I know that's not true. But if we can connect to our own problem and move towards it and learn to, I know I'm using really um, 
analytical language, but and then learn to solve that problem. You know, if it's if it's a human thing that we are figuring out, you know, in our own vulnerable, messy way, that the payback from that for so many people will be huge. And I suppose viewing my own journey in that way, that's exactly what happened. I had to, I had to stand in my own issues, you know, and it's so interesting to think that actually, of course, as I look back on the story of my life over the last 20 years, there, of course, it's of course my superpower. Of course it is, you know, and would, would I choose it? No. And that's very, that's interesting, isn't it? That, that concept, that's, that's interesting because I wouldn't choose it and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But at the same time, there is a reality to the fact that, um, especially in the trauma space, um, facing adversity really, really does very, very frequently make rather incredible humans. It's, it's the truth of it. And will you uh, share with us your personal experience of trauma and, and anxiety for our listeners? I am so fascinated in sort of the different pieces of it because anxiety certainly runs in my family. You know, there's, there's often that genetic intergenerational sort of link, isn't there, that we're handed it uh, through g- genetically and in terms of that uh, epigenetic kind of the environment we're in then brings out this, this more... Um, you know, and essentially it is part of our trauma, isn't it? Is that anxi- anxious, um, nervous system piece. So, so that's relevant in terms of, you know, the, the family that I was surrounded by, certainly. Um, I, ex- I was molested multiple times when I was younger, once when I was really very young and then, and then once at the age of about seven. And what you find with trauma is that it kind of stacks up. So the first, trauma sets you up for the next one because what's happening is um our incredibly clever nervous systems are, are trying to figure out how to protect us so so one of the the best and quickest ways they can do that is to make our fight flight survival response go off quicker does that make sense so so and because that's the doorway to um the traumatic reaction if if we have moved into that hypervigilant uh, way of living, constantly scanning for threats, we're more likely to see threats. And when we see them, we're more likely to go into fight flight in, in that really kind of overwhelming out of control way that indicates trauma. So, so it is a complicated thing. It's not just like, well, this happened and that was it. And that is never the case. You know, I work, I've now worked with thousands of people and I mean, I really have, I, you know, from, from the beginning of my research, all the, if I imagine in my, my mind who I've spoken to, there isn't, there isn't a trauma. It doesn't work like that. It really, really doesn't. The, the first sets you up for the next and the next. So there's always a string of them. And very often, as I said, to start with, there's, there's often this kind of genetic or family or childhood, um, sort of context as well. And so how did you emerge from that, those horrendous experiences, particularly if they, you know, continued over a long period of time? How do you, first of all, um, realize that you, you have to seek help. You need to change your situation and then emerged into your, your new world as seemingly uh, in front of me is a very grounded whole person. And that's a, a wonderful thing to see. But when I, you know, I, I cannot imagine what that was like for you as a child. Well, the truth is, uh, it was painful and messy. That's how I got well. 
um, one of the one of the core aspects of trauma and a real red flag for anyone listening if they're thinking, oh gosh, well, do I have it? Is avoidance. So cognitively, we avoid it. We we set up all these rather clever things in our head that push the memories away and push the feelings away. So it's very slippery, you know. And behaviorally, it's all about avoidance. So often we'll lean into these kind of coping mechanisms that help us avoid our feelings, like you know, it's essentially anything compulsive, compulsive eating, compulsive. Um, drinking, shopping, <clears throat> you know, you just put the word compulsive in front of anything. And it's all about that avoidance. So for a very, very long time, um, I would say from sort of age 10 until probably age 22, it's all a bit of a blur because it was so deeply, um, shrouded in, in avoidance, in pretending to be well, in not really understanding, but having that real deep sense that I'm not I'm not okay but I should be okay so I'm just going to try and be okay and then avoid 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 you know and all of these really um really unhelpful coping mechanisms you know I was I was bulimic for a long time um anorexic um I uh, my drinking was highly dysfunctional at times um so uh, you know there was heightened anxiety panic attacks all sorts of things going on and in terms of the moment at which I thought, hang on a minute, I, I don't know about this. It's funny, isn't it? Cause it, is there always a boy involved in the story? Certainly there was for me. You know, I, I, I was at school with my husband, but we started dating again when I was about 22. And I think as, as our relationship moved forward and we started to talk about children and a life together. There was this kind of mismatch between where I was and where I wanted to be. And I think that was the moment that kind of, I want to love you in the way you deserve to be loved, but I can't really do it. I want to be present for you in the way that you deserve, but I can't really be present. I want to eat like a normal human and I can't really eat like a normal human. So that was the the stepping stone really was, you know, after a decade of avoidance, then moving into, you know, so that's interesting, isn't it? I suppose that was about hope. You know, that was it was wanting something more for myself than I than I had and wanting connection. And you were not looking to him to rescue you. Oh lovely boy in my life. Um be my Prince Charming. Save me from this horrible past. Change me. Uh, that's the fairy tale where we look outside for somebody else to help us. But actually you I believe was the hero of your own story. You rescued yourself. It's the only way, isn't it? That's absolutely right. It's the only way. In fact, I think he was rather scared of the whole thing because I, I went into the 12 step fellowships. So everyone associates that with AA, but there's also fantastic fellowships for, for people with eating disorders. Um, and that's where I was drawn to, of course. Um, and he was quite nervous of it you know, from the outside. So as we're all afraid of change, aren't we? So no, it, certainly I didn't sort of run to him and expect him to save me. It was the opposite. Actually, it was this real knowing within me that something had to change and that I had to put my big girl pants on and get on with it. I love that. Put your big girl pants on. <laughs> Great. I, I think also sometimes, um, and again, I, I, I sort of ex experience this myself that you think, okay, so I've got a problem. Okay. I know I've got a problem. I've admitted that. Um, now I've got to go out into the world to seek help. The first time I went into therapy I was in my twenties. Um, and I had these feelings that I, I, I loved women 
And I thought, oh, I can't possibly admit this. It's too shameful. This was in the 90s. And a friend said, well, here's the number of a therapist who will help you through this. Um, I'm not going to phone her for you. You have to do it yourself. You have to take ownership of this decision to change. And I had this number for weeks before I actually phoned her. How did you feel? And, and how, as a therapist yourself and a counselor, um, uh, a psychologist, how would you, how do we get from this point of, I know I need to change, but I need to admit it in public, publicly, as it were, I put inverted commas around that and, and seek help, uh, proper supportive help as opposed to, oh, well, yes, I'm just going to talk about it with my friends and I'm just going to talk about it with, you know, my loved one. And that's, that's good enough. But, but of course, they're not, uh, trained. They don't have the skills to help us. And sometimes they're all also too close to the problem. Yeah, it's so, so interesting, isn't it? Because I don't actually think there's one route to that. I think we've all, or I think most people have heard of the phrase of rock bottom, you know, and I think for a lot of people, that is what gets them into recovery. I think it gets so bad. They just throw their hands up in the air and go, Oh God, I just, okay, I cannot do this on my own anymore. And that, that is a, an experience I can relate to, certainly. And I think for a lot of people, they can, but it's not always the way. I think for a lot of people, there's more of a, almost an empowered enough, you know, a, a kind of, um, rising up almost. So there's, there's different energies, I think, that pull you into that space of actually being able to advocate for yourself. Um, either via surrender, which is that kind of rock bottom. I don't know. Maybe all of them require surrender. Maybe all of them in some way require us to admit that we, we can't do it on our own and that we shouldn't. Yes. And I, I love those, the, the thread in your story about looking to the future. You wanted something better and you were okay to muddle along until you thought of a family of your own children and something beautiful that kind of called, called up this um, urge to make that change for yourself. It what couldn't be forced upon you. It had to come out of your own longing and desire for something better. Yeah, I think so too. I think, I think so too. It is interesting because it indicates a, a connection to something in myself, a self-worth that I didn't actually necessarily consciously realize was there. I think. And that's true. And it it is interesting because subsequent to that, actually multiple people have pointed it out to me that, that there is this nub of kind of self-worth and I can do this that kind of moves me forward in a really, um, expansive way, a helpful way. Now turning uh, to the physiological side of it, you mentioned fight or flight. Uh, and as a psychologist, you've researched the physiology of anxiety and trauma. Uh, can you tell us what happens to our, to our body when we become anxious? When we become anxious, essentially it is, I mean, from my point of view, will always be from the model of trauma and dysregulation. So there are many ways we can understand anxiety, but from, from where I stand, it is essentially fight, flight, energy. That's how I explain it to clients. That's how I explain it in my work, which essentially means that we have um, become so stressed, you know, so activated that we then actually flip into fight, flight. So our amygdala 
has picked up on a threat, a fear, a threat, uh, and then, and then set off this cascade of reaction within, within our body that, you know, it's the adrenal glands. It's the, you know, it's the adrenaline. It's the cortisol. To me, that's what anxiety is. It's a, it's another facet of the fight flight mechanism. And knowing the physiology, because when something happens to us and we're in this state of trauma or anxiety and our body's just going crazy with all this adrenal stuff, um, how does understanding what is happening in our body help us uh, move forward? Well, I haven't met anyone who it hasn't helped. Because intellectually, I think, well, why does it help? Because actually the language isn't particularly cuddly. It's not, you know, <laughs> it's not particularly nice language. It's, it's very utilitarian in a way. There's a, there's a practicalness to it or a literalness to it, but it does help. So, so why do I think it does? I suppose to me, it's all about clarity. So to me, the more we understand. So, so trauma and, and even anxiety, it comes from, um, yes, it's about threat, but it's also about overwhelm and feeling out of control. It's those things. So I think that as we understand what's going on in our body, the, the overwhelm drops and we feel more in control. It just gives us a sense of agency, understanding clarity. Um, so I think it's really important. I don't think dumbed down information in this space does any of us any good. You don't want to get obsessive. You just, it's just top level stuff that we need to know, but understanding that top level stuff, it's incredible. It, it really is. And it's quite hopeful, makes me feel hopeful because you actually realize it is possible to be well. So is it something around the separation of what's happening in your body with how that's triggering or whichever way around it is the, the thoughts in your head? So, um, I suppose you mentioned PTSD and it's the, the war, the person who's been to war, they hear a car backfire. It sounds like a gunshot and they have a physiological reaction and they're going into meltdown. But are you saying then that by understanding that actually this is a physiological reaction and I don't know, there are mechanisms that you can do like slow breathing or whatever that can calm the body down, which then also helps with the mental and emotional response to something that actually isn't a threat, but it is experienced as a threat. Yes, absolutely. It is interesting to think of that example because in, in trauma, there's so many different ways to approach it, so many different avenues to healing, really. And thank God we live in a time when there are so many and, and, and enough flavor for all of us. You know, if you don't, if one, if you don't vibe with one, find a different one. There's so many different ways in. But one thing I've noticed is that they all rely on, um, so when we're triggered, whether it's in a relational context or whether, like you've said, it's, um, it's a vet who's just heard a, a car backfired. That the first thing to do always in, in each, you know, whether you're looking at the EMDR theory or, or SE, whatever it is, um, is to acknowledge that you're triggered is, is to say, so, so it's to state a fact. And of course, if you think about the fact that trauma is overwhelm and self, con uh, lack of feeling in control and sense of threat, it makes sense as to why you need to do that because it immediately brings your prefrontal cortex slight, not completely back online, but it, but it help it, it draws it all in. It's, it's a, an explanation of what's going on that we, that we need. It's, there's a, 
there's a there's almost a calming um it if you speak to people with high levels of trauma symptoms they really do feel very out of control out of control of their reactions of their body i'm sure it's the same within the anxiety space you know you do just feel like your body is doing all of this horrible stuff that you can't control so that center point of i'm triggered it's okay i'm triggered and then the second piece it's okay. Everyone gets triggered sometimes. So you initially state it as a fact and then you kind of add perspective. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. Everyone gets triggered sometimes. And, and then you can kind of move on into deeper techniques, but it's, it's quite clever how that works, I think. And it's certainly to do with the prefrontal cortex and helping us feel that sense of agency that's so important. In my own personal experience, I, I never had panic attacks before, but I, uh, it was triggered due to the um, traumatic experience of, of a relationship breakup a, a few years ago. And I found that I was crying controllably and then I couldn't breathe because my breathing had gone funny because of the, of, of, of the crying. My brother, who's a GP said to me, look, this, it's just, ca- just count to four as you breathe in, hold it for four and breathe out for four. And that really helps. And obviously, as you say, there are different techniques and different ways of getting help. And I'm just talking about my personal experience and I'm not saying this is uh, the right thing for everybody. But what I found was I, I was, I would get suddenly very claustrophobic and I was on a train to Brighton and it stopped at Haywards Heath where it splits. Um, and I suddenly found myself panicking and a sense of, I, it was related to not being in control of the carriage, not being in control of uh, the situation in my life. And I started this whole thing. And exactly as you say, it, I kind of became aware, okay, okay, this is starting. Uh, take, you know, do, do the little technique. Um, and it calmed me down. I continued doing that for the five minutes it took for the, the, tra- the train to do its thing. And off we went and it's, oh, okay. And I had never experienced that before uh, or since, thank goodness. But it, it, it has helped me understand uh, that mind-body connection. And to have an, a, a little tiny bit of um, understanding of people who have experienced great, much, much greater trauma and have had long-term uh, reactions like, like that. I think it's such a great example. I'm, I'm sure, well, I've certainly had those moments and I'm sure many of your listeners will have as well. There's, there's a humanness to those moments, isn't there, that we've, we all experienced. And the beauty of that, of the, the simplicity of uh, the solution. And I actually, as I say that, I find it really interesting how simple some of the solutions are. They're almost, they're so simple. Some people push against them because they, they want something, you know, we're all so intellectual, aren't we? So we want something more complicated. And actually what you did at a nervous system level, the, the breath is the only way that the direct way that we can influence what's happening in our nervous system. Okay. So it's, it's the only way in. So what you did there is regulate like a pro. You know, you, you helped your whole system calm down and regulate. You also distracted yourself. You, um, leaned into that mind body connection and strengthened it. There were so many incredible things that you did in that moment simply by using that box breath. So it sounds simple, but I suppose the simple things are always the best, aren't they? So the theme of season two of this podcast, The Anxiety Advantage, is courage, uh, specifically how anxiety gives us opportunities to be courageous. And actually, I think that anxious people may be the most courageous people um, in the world because 
as they take steps to towards facing their fears, it's a, you know there are lots of lots of steps. It's a bigger step than someone who is kind of much more relaxed about you know jumping out of the aeroplane. Um, for the anxious person, it, it's a, a lot more energy. Now you've you've worked with so many people. Um, what have you learned about the human spirit in your work with people facing the traumas of their past? Well, I think the most important thing to highlight is it, i mean it is that it is the courage that it that it takes and i often think you know i think i think when we spoke before we talked about post traumatic growth did we you know and that this idea that actually something quite incredible happens um as you experience a trauma so is it 50 or 70% of people who experience <laughs> a trauma will go on to experience post-traumatic growth. So somehow they will grow um, in a positive way from the experience, which is incredible. And often I'll say that fact to clients and they kind of dismiss it. Well, they wouldn't have been what I've been through what I've been through or, you know, that the, the, they wouldn't have had PTSD. But, but these people who these stats are from, they still have PTSD, high levels of PTSD sometimes. That they have it and, and they grow with it. They use it as kind of a springboard. And I think you're right. I think what is it that creates that growth? I, it, it is courage. It's that having to dig deep. It's, it's wanting something more for yourself than what you have and the growth that comes in those moments. There's a woman who, so I run a program at the moment. There's 30 incredible women signed up. And as part of this program, I run a group. So every two weeks we come together as a group and, and it's very cathartic, almost like kind of group therapy, essentially. It's a support group. And there's one woman who has high relational trauma. Um, and she said from the get go, so she signed up for the program, but she said, I absolutely will not come to the groups. There's no way I can do that. I don't want to do it. Okay. That's absolutely fine. About, I don't know, two months into the program, I, she saw a, a, a recording, I think, of one of the groups or a part of the group. And, and she said, Oh, that does look quite interesting. I said, look, why don't, why don't you come? But, you know, leave the audio off, leave your, leave your video off. And, and that's fine. And just listen. And again, another month went by before she actually did that. So she, she wasn't online with us. She, I mean, she was online with us, but she wasn't taking part in the group. She was just listening. And then, she moved on and she switched her audio on about, you know, a couple of weeks after that. And then a couple of weeks again, her video came on and, and watching the courage that it took for her to overcome the huge social anxiety that she had. And now, I mean, I can't help but smile. I hope she listens to this because she'll know, she will know who I'm talking about her, her confidence, her, I mean, the, 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 the courage that it took. To, to do what she did has propelled her healing forwards in a way that I don't think she could ever have seen coming. And it's been incredible to witness. Wow, that is such a beautiful story. And it's a combination of factors floating about in my mind, which is about feeling safe, being in a safe space, uh, in a safe group with uh, someone walking alongside you, a, a trusted therapist. Uh, a trusted person who gives you the safe permission 
to start to experiment and then to try the little steps. And I think sometimes we anxious people, and I, I call my anxiety Angsty Annie. Angsty Annie has this whole idea that it's, it's all going to happen suddenly. And that, um, when I did my solo theatre performance, it, 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 Angsty Annie was kind of, oh my God, how can you stand on stage and duh, you've never done this before and you don't have to do. And I said, oh, chill, baby. And actually I worked with director uh, and a producer and we did rehearsals bit by bit, bit by bit, got used to having one person watch me, two people, three people, 10 people, and then, you know, on, onto the stage. And, and it's a different arena, if you like, from what you've described for your client. And I think for our listeners, every person will have their different arena where they have to be the, the, the gladiator. And that for some people, it's, it's something really huge and, and global. For other people, it's a small thing, but it's big. Whatever it is, it's big to that person. And that, those feelings of fear are valid for that person in that context. And I think I say that because I have a tendency, my harsh critic tends to uh, beat up on me and I don't be so ridiculous. You know, that's just a silly little old thing, but it's not silly and it's not little because it's huge to me in that moment. And so the courage that it takes to do that is uh, to be absolutely admired and respected. I totally agree. And I would overlay the concept of neuroplasticity onto that, which we know only happens if we take it slow. You have to focus, you have to be in the moment, you have to start small, you have to stretch, not stress. That's the key word, you want to stretch, not stress your system. So what this client of mine did was is a beautiful, I mean, textbook example of how to do what she did. She gradually built flexibility into her system. She allowed in that growth allowed in change because if she'd have gone straight from zero to 20 rather than going zero one two three four she would have what she would have got triggered um it would she would have gone into collapse fight flight there would have been no growth there would have been no healing so actually more than just um a kind of agreement with you that that you know our feelings are valid it is also so important to start at the beginning if you start at the beginning and repeat and just slowly, incrementally move upwards, you, you will experience huge healing. But if you, if you try and circumnavigate the whole thing, you, you won't. You'll bypass the whole necessary steps. Take it slow. That's, that's what I say. It's the only way, really. Wonderful. And actually, that makes it less scary. You know, from zero to one is much less scary. So it, it feels then humanly possible whatever it is that any of us, um, any of our listeners might, might be facing, knowing that it's small steps makes it, yeah, less scary and more achievable. Mm, and it's true. You know, I'm, I'm blown away with it. I'm completely obsessed with the study of neuroplasticity at the moment and how it can support all our healing. And the truth of what I've just said is, is you can't dispute it. Uh, and how glorious is that? We're being called to take it slow, to focus, be present, Focus and repeat, focus and repeat, focus and repeat, small steps. The, the, the uh, rule of 1%, 1% more, just a tiny fraction more. That's how we grow and heal in quite a literal way. Now, I love the title of your book, You're Not Broken. 
uh, I love it because my harsh critic, uh, we often beat up on ourselves and feel that there's something wrong with us. Uh, so I find the title very reassuring. Uh, can you tell us about your book? It's all about trauma, essentially. And I, there are a few great books on trauma, trauma, but my experience with them, potentially as a woman, I would say, I'm not sure, but I feel like that piece might be relevant. So a lot of the big kind of tomes are written by men. Um, I, I didn't feel they were very accessible. I, I read them and they made me feel scared. And I thought, well, that's no good. How, how, that definitely is not serving the purpose we need them to serve, which is to bring hope, lightness, solution, you know, stand in the solution. So I very, you know, with huge passion wrote this book that sort of in, in my mind filled that gap that explained trauma in a, in a really accessible way. And with this kind of PS of it's okay, like this is very human. We, we all experience the traumatic reaction. We're all stuck in those reactions to a greater or lesser extent. It's a spectrum, you know, the tra traumatic symptoms are on a spectrum. It's, it's so trauma is, you know, it's not this, this, um, harshly diagnostic world that we've been led to believe in. So, so I wanted to fill that gap and, and I hope that I have. Having the space to question, to explore, to reach out to other people who may have different expertise, different experiences, uh, to cross over the gap between each individual human. That's partly to do with healing and empathy. And it, it links back to what we began this podcast, which is you were called from your own trauma to try and find um a way forward that heals yourself and in service of others to heal others. Uh, there will, I'm sure, and there are many other people who, um, from their own experiences will emerge to help heal, uh, the people who are drawn to them. But it's also important, I feel, and in terms of what I'm hearing you say is that it's not just, uh, this is my answer within these silos of difference. But actually to break down those walls and say, to be able to speak and to share experiences and to share learning and to share healing, uh, to somehow be able to come together as humans who've all experienced trauma in some way or another and, and to recognize each other, um, mm. and recognize each other's pain and recognize the courage that it has, it is taking to heal not just us as individuals, but as society and across generations. Extremely well put. I completely agree. And it is important. I don't know the word that just keeps coming to mind is listening. I feel like I'm listening at the moment in this space. I mean, around this question, because everything is, everything's changing very quickly. And I'm aware that the solution that I found and that was right for me isn't it's not a carbon copy. It's what, what was right for me isn't necessarily right for someone else. And, um, I think a light touch and a responsiveness is required. And so it's a work in progress. And in fact, we're all works in progress. Um, Dr. Sarah Woodhouse, do you have any final words for our listeners? The thing I suppose that comes to mind is don't give up. That's the thing really is when I look back on how low I felt at certain points. It is such a huge shock to me that I'm sitting here as well as I am. I do, I have these moments sometimes of like double, double take of like, oh God, I, re I mean, I really am well. 
And I would never have guessed that I would be this well. So I understand it sounds like a bit of a fantasy potentially to some people listening, but it's not. Healing isn't this mythical thing. Uh, it's, it's available to all of us. It just requires that initial step towards kind of, okay, I could do with some help here, you know, in the direction that feels comfortable. My guest today was Dr. Sarah Woodhouse. You can find links to her book and the Freedom Process program, as well as some of the other things we talked about on the show notes page, where there are also photos and credits. You can use the bit.ly short link bit.ly bit.ly forward slash anxiety advantage, or go to my website tigerspirit.co.uk and click through to the anxiety advantage. Today, we've had a look at trauma, anxiety, and taking small steps to healing with expert Dr. Sarah Woodhouse. In upcoming episodes, I explore anxiety and courage from different angles. I chat with comedian and BBC regular Rosie Wilby about anxiety in the context of relationships in an episode all about anxiety, breakups, and makeups. There's also an episode featuring adventurer Belinda Kirk on anxiety and stepping out of our comfort zone, all about how having adventures, big or small, can help boost our confidence and mental health. Subscribe or follow this podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, and these episodes will appear in your pod listening app as soon as they are published. There's also all of the eight episodes of season one of The Anxiety Advantage, plus the extra bonus ninth episode currently available. Have a scroll on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts to see which of those episodes of season one you might find interesting or helpful. These podcasts share my personal experience and perspective. I do not claim to speak for everyone who may be living with anxiety. I'm not an expert and have no medical or counselling qualifications. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only. Views expressed by my guests are entirely their own and do not represent my views. If you are affected by anything in these podcasts, please seek the advice of your doctor or other qualified professional. If you have particularly enjoyed this episode, I hope you will leave me a lovely review on your podcast app. That will tell the algorithm elves that this is a podcast worth listening to. And hopefully that will help other anxious or courageous people find the anxiety advantage. I'm Yang Mei The website link again is bit.ly forward slash anxiety advantage if you want to find the show notes page and other episodes. Or go to my website, tigerspirit.co.uk, and click through to The Anxiety Advantage. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where I am at tigerspiruk. Or you can simply Google the podcast, The Anxiety Advantage, and my name, Yang Mei Ui. Thank you for listening, and see you again soon. 